Do you know the difference between a realtor and a real estate agent? Well, if you're a member of the National Association of Realtors, you are a realtor. If you're not, you're just a plain old real estate agent. Now, with all the class action lawsuits flying around against NAR these days, are realtors going the way of the dinosaurs and suffering extinction? Mike Mills of Mike Mills Mortgage and Finance here. Realtors and brokers are under attack right now, and our industry could look very different in just a few short years. Or it might just be business as usual with a few small changes. The reality is, is that no one really knows yet. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I do know someone who has some pretty good thoughts about it and what you should do as a realtor to prepare for any changes coming. Joining me will be Amy Cornell. Amy's been on the show a few times before, but she's a local real estate broker with over 20 years of experience in the real estate industry. She doesn't just run a brokerage though. She's very involved in local politics, has served on every real estate board known to man, and just has a really good pulse on what's happening and what's coming. If you want insight into how these class action lawsuits are going to affect your business next year, you need to tune into this one. Look, our industry is under attack right now from many angles. So you need to position yourself with knowledge and facts so you can succeed with whatever changes come our way. And when it comes to arming yourself, Amy's like the Lockheed Martin of real estate weapons and knowledge. So tune in and prepare to fight back. Hello, hello, everybody. Um, hello to all my realtors out there driving around searching for your next buyer or seller. Um, if that's the case, this episode is for you. Now, this is not just uh, for regular real estate agents, but realtors specifically. Do you know the difference? Well, um, do you know that uh, your way of making a living is currently under attack and it might not be from who you're thinking? Um, today, we're going to let you know uh, what's going on in the NAR uh, class action lawsuit, how it might impact how people buy and sell real estate, and the other lawsuits that are also being filed, and who could possibly be behind it other than the plaintiffs and why. So welcome to the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast, where every week we spill the tea on what's happening in and around the world of real estate and finance. I'm your host, Mike Mills, a Texas mortgage banker with over 15 years experience in real estate and lending. And today I have a special guest who is here to shed some light on what is happening with the lawsuits that are all the buzz among realtors and lenders. She's been knee deep in the discussion since the beginning and is going to share her insights with us so we can be prepared for any changes that might be coming our way. But before we dive into today's episode, remember, if you like hearing this conversation each and every week and finding real value for your business, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform or go check me out on Mike Mills Mortgage and Finance on YouTube for more exclusive content. Every new listener grows our community a little bit bigger each week. So please like, subscribe, comment, share, heck, even write me a review if you want, if you got a minute. I love feedback and uh, ideas for new episodes. So please uh, reach out if you want to. Now, my guest today is Amy Cornell. Amy is a DFW real estate broker with over 20 years experience in real estate title mortgage and has served heavily in her real estate community on boards and committees every year she's been in the business. Um, she even ran for mayor last year. Didn't really have the intention of winning and yet somehow almost did. So um, plus uh, this will be the third time she's joining me on the podcast, which is truly her claim to fame. So Amy, um, how's Philly treating you right now? Yeah, awesome. Can you believe that mayoral thing was actually this year? What's that? Can Can you believe that mayoral thing was actually this year? Seems like oh, this year has gone on for a long time. <laughs> I think voting occurs in November because that's the way my brain works. So it's like, yes, it was this year. Yeah, and, yeah, and you crazy year, and right? now here we are. I know. I was shocked. You came on for us to talk about the mayoral candidacy and um, and how that was going. And then I looked up when they put out the results and you'd even told me at the time, you're like, oh, I'm not really trying to win. I just think there needs to be another option. And I look up and you didn't lose by much. You almost won. 
Yep. We did what we intended to do. Yes. There you go. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, so let's kind of dive right into it because I think this is, might be kind of a long one and I want to kind of get through as many things as we can. So first off, I want you to explain because you've done so much research on this and you're so in depth on this, um, kind of tell everybody just explaining, you know, basically what occurred, um, with the NAR lawsuit itself, um, kind of what's it about, how it started and then where we at, we are at as far as the judgment's concerned on that specific lawsuit right now. Okay. So, and there are a variety of lawsuits out there right now. Um, the one that Mike is talking about is the one that we had the verdict on, on the scariest Halloween ever for most realtors out there. Um, it's called the Sitzer Burnett case, and that was filed in Missouri. Um, and it was home seller plaintiffs saying that, or claiming that, that was anti, anti-competitive action was taken by NAR and four major brokerages um, to make it where the cost for the transaction was increased um, unfairly and that the seller was harmed due to that because they had to pay for the buyer's broker's commission as part of the commission that they paid to their listing agent. So they had a variety of different, uh, well, the class, so it's a class action suit with all of these home sellers and the class included a bunch of people who said, hey, you know, that that percentage that they paid or whatever the fee was that they paid was unfair. It was anti-competitive and that that um, should result in damages to them being paid. The jury agreed with them. And so the defense that NAR and the other brokerages did not resonate with the jury. So per the instructions that were provided by the judge. And now we're waiting on the judge to um, a comment on his injunction on is there is is there a mandate for change immediately? Is this a tiered system? Is it going to be in conjunction with the DOJ? Are they going to change the award amount, which the award amount was one point seven eight billion dollars that was then trebled? Um, the and so are they? The yeah. So are they going to? change that um, before it goes? Is there going to be some sort of settlement post judgment? Like what? Anyway, so that's, that's kind of where we stand right now with that major case. As soon as that case ended, like within minutes, the same attorney for that um, home seller group filed another one against other brokerages to, to make it an even bigger case. And there are already all these other um, things out there, but really so much of it comes down to the NAR practice of cooperative compensation and the claim that that is just an unfair act of having um, cooperation between the listing agent and the buyer agent and that that has created a price fixing situation that is rampant across the country is the claim. Now, the what's happened with this as far as what I've seen, especially within the last couple of days, which is surprising to me is, um, and even with some of the stuff I posted about this, somebody commented on it about um, how, the, you know, basically the realtors are getting what they deserve, essentially, is, is what they're saying. And, and in, this lawsuit has painted real estate agents as realtors, as, uh, um, as the bad guys here, which, again, I, I understand, you know, the sentiment a little bit, because when you see you know, the, the money that was paid, which we all knew it's, it's not like it's a secret. It's always been the commission structure has always been the same. And by the way, like you've said before, commissions well. have always, well, but com <laughs> commissions have always been negotiable, right? Yes. From, yes. Always from, been negotiable. Yeah. Right. Yes. So. And agreed right, upon prior to entering into the agreement. Yes. Right. 
Right. But yet, you know, the, the local, you know, uh, uh, grandma or mom that or dad that's out there selling real estate on the side, all of a sudden they're the, the, the evil human beings that are a part that are causing this issue. And, and that's just, I don't feel like that that's the case, not because I work with realtors every day, but just because th they operate within a system that preexisted and, and they didn't have necessarily a, um, you know, another, another situation to operate within. And so if that's the case, if that's the issuance from NAR and whatnot, then, then why are the real estate agents being so vilified in this? What, what do you think? You know, I think that is the unfortunate part of this is that there hasn't been any sort of really, in, in my opinion, kind of grace on that of saying like, Hey, you know, I know this is how y'all have done it for a really long time, like hundreds, a hundred of a hundred years anyway. Um, you know, and now we're going to say, Hey, we're not, we don't like it like that. The, we don't think that that's a competitive way of doing business. We need you to change it. Um, now some will say that that is what the department of justice has done over the last 20 years, that that's really what they did when they came in and said, Hey, you shouldn't do sub agency anymore, which created this, this kind of way of doing it. And that that's also in their investigation that has been, trickling for about 20 years but really ramped up since 2020 that they should have said something to to say hey now stop doing it now maybe that did happen at nar and the local people just didn't know that it's hard to know what has really been happening on the back side of this and i can say I, I i thought i should preface like this whole conversation with you know, this are just my views i'm yes. i'm just trying to read some tea leaves here I really am trying to just present the facts as I know it. I'm not an attorney, so any of my opinions are just that. <laughs> will, you, will you explain a little bit why the judge's ruling specifically on what he what his interpretation of this is, why that's so important? Because and we don't have that yet, which by the way, I thought we would at this point, but we don't. So why is why does that matter so much? Right. So the jury has given their verdict, but we're still waiting on the judge to basically ratify those numbers as well as give the process of how that would go. So there's no chance for an appeal or anything like that until that that happens. NAR had their national conference this week on Monday. Their attorney spoke and said that um, that likely is not to come until the spring, essentially the late spring, that there are a, a series of post-trial motions that have to go back and forth. And really, it sounds to me like from the, the information that we've gotten from NAR is that they really are trying to get the entire verdict overturned in more of a mistrial situation rather than waiting for an appeal. But they have said that they are planning to appeal if that does not work. Um, so it would be like this late spring, we would get guidance. And then within 30 days, an appeal would have to, to go out if that was what NAR decided to do. The concern with um, or the concern among kind of people looking at this is the question of does NAR have the ability to file an appeal because the bond, a, a bond would have to be put up. That bond has not been decided. That would be part of the judge's orders as well. But if it was that full amount, the, the billions of dollars that, um, that the current judgment sits at, if that bond had to be put up, how would NAR fundraise to get that? Do they have some sort of insurance policy? Are they selling some sort of assets? Are they going to um, ask their members for more money from some sort of special assessment or something like that. But what would that look like? And and there's been zero guidance on that yet. It 
it has been more really of the same from NAR of saying, y'all don't worry about it. We've got it. This is really not an issue. The whole thing is going to go away. Well, and even that one point. Eight billion, basically, is what it rounds up to. Um, I mean, they don't have that kind of money, obviously. You know, I mean, how much do they collect in dues every year? I mean, is is something like a couple six million? To, 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 how much do they collect every year? Um, so we've got fifteen. Uh, 15, uh, sorry, one point five million realtor members, and yeah. dues are like I don't know, a hundred and something a year. So yeah, I mean. Maybe, yeah, and and then they also have some other streams of income, um, like some data feed situations and some ex ancillary fees that come in and some of that. So, so they bring in two hundred fifty million dollars a year in revenue. Right? I think that that's would be paying, a fair guess. Yeah, yeah that's not paying one point eight billion dollars in damages. No, like, no way. So do, do you no. think plaintiffs get to a place where, with some of these appeals, where they accept? Maybe maybe they actually bring it down in order to actually get money versus you know making it so astronomically high that there's no way that they could even pay it at any point. You know, it's hard to say. It gets back to like, was this an altruistic thing from the class of home sellers saying, "Hey, this was really not about me getting my little percentage back, but I want to I want to do what's right for the American people and I want to change this practice," yeah. or are they coming after actual dollars and they want their piece of the pie? Well, uh, so. I mean, even what we were talking about before we came on here, though, I mean, it was, um, you know, I said, I think what I read the other day, there was 500,000 people in, in this. Again, we're talking about the Missouri one specifically, but there yeah. were 500,000 people involved in that class action lawsuit and they were getting one point eight billion. Let's call it. Well, even if the attorneys took no money, which we know is not going to happen, but even if they did in that case, each person only gets like thirty five hundred bucks like they don't get <laughs> hardly anything. So, and then if they award the treble uh, uh, damages, hardly award, anything to us or hardly anything to that. I mean, that's the problem, right? You know, of that, it, it, you know, it, when you get into a class action like this, it's just like if, you know, if you use baby powder and now you were damaged for it. And even if you're only getting 30 bucks or whatever, you know, do you stand up in line to get your $30 or do you not? And if this goes to a national platform, you know, who pays that $30? Who does that? You know, how does this get going on that? And yeah. that's, that, that's yet to be seen. And, we'll, and we're still not going to know that. And we may not know that for some time, right? We, you're exactly right. So, um, you know, really there's been a lot of guidance coming for, for um, us as realtor members, which we, we still are right now, um, of saying, hey, you know, don't worry about it. Just keep doing things the same way. Of course, commissions are negotiable, which they they always have been. Um, just continue to communicate that to your clients. And I say that commissions are negotiable. And I, I struggle with that some because I think there's this thought that it's like haggling over a used car. That like you would go in and meet with a real estate professional and they would say, hey, my fee is this. And then you would say, well, no, I want to pay this. And then it, there'd be this back and forth. You know, I mean, I I see it as negotiable as just like if I go to an attorney, what one attorney charges and another attorney charges may be different. But it's not necessarily that that attorney that I'm going to is going to negotiate their rate down to match somebody else or to do something else. Everybody has the right to charge what they feel like is right for their their value proposition for their best practices. Um, so I, I just I think some of that is getting lost in translation. I'm I'm hearing a lot of concern from realtor members of like, well, I just I can't charge what I used to. Well, I mean, we're, 
were you supposed to be charging that? Was that something that you felt like and your consumer felt like was a good value for the money? If it wasn't, then yes, you should have never been charging that. But if it was, and you can help explain that and you can help explain your reasoning on that, that's not necessarily something that just changes. So it's just some nuance that happens with some of that negotiability. Well, and I want to get into um, a little bit later, I want to get into more of, you know, what agents should be doing and how they should be prepping themselves going forward. But before we get there, um, talk a little bit about, so, you know, you said the nationwide lawsuit was filed essentially right after, and then there was another one filed recently that's caused a lot of news, which is in Texas, but that one is actually even different because they're actually going after the boards directly. Is that right? Um, like Metro Texas being listed in that one. So can you speak a little bit about that? Yes. So um, let me talk about one other national one before we get to the Texas. And that was um, the, gosh, I'm going to forget the name. I think it's Burton. And um, there was one that was filed by home buyers, basically the same thing. Um, Batten, sorry, Batten. Um, basically the same situation as the home sellers were saying, but now the home buyers are also saying that they were damaged during the process. So that's another big one that's happening as well. Um, so the Texas one, Texas one is um, similar to Sister Burnett. It is a seller that is coming against and they um, just filed on Monday. Um, this one came against Texas Realtors. And then I'm just going to read through some of these. Austin Board of Realtors, San Antonio Board of Realtors, MetroTex, and Houston Association of Realtors. Um, and then a variety of other brokers in Texas. So we've got like Ali Beth Allman, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, or PenFed uh, subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, Ebby, Dave Miller, Keller Williams, um, Fathom, Side, uh, Realty Austin, JPAR, Monument, Real, plus like Magnolia, and some other like even just teams like Hexagon Group, Logan Group, Heil Group, like. So they're getting more granular. They even have one just solo agent listed in here as well. So it is a different um, a different group of defendants than what we've seen on the national side. The national side really has been kind of going after only really big brokerages and NAR. And now we're seeing this move down to the state level as well as the local board. Well, that individual agent sure pissed somebody off if he's being listed well, specifically. Wow. So, um, and I did, I did hear, I, so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, looking at a lot, so I can't verify this, but I did hear that there was something that was said on social or something that was what brought him to the case on this. So yeah. I don't know if that's true, but I do think it is, you know, we've got to be careful and help under help you know, both our clients and help the public understand what we're doing and, and what our position is on this. Yeah. So, okay. So on the Texas one too, another thing that I found interesting was that the actual plaintiffs weren't buyers or sellers per se, but it was a builder and it was a, um, I think they're publicly traded, uh, um, like, uh, uh, development company. Um, I want to call I mean, I don't know if they're a venture capital firm, but they're, they're certainly not an individual. It was, um, I even have it written down here. Uh, who was it there? It was yeah, five, points, five points LLC, which is a, uh, they're a community development company. And then the other one was like, um, there was a QJ a, team LLC, right, which is just a local builder in Houston. So, and they were, they were both selling property, but yes, I, it was not just like, you know, Bob and Susie over here that were harmed. It was more corporate action. 
Yeah. So now it's corporate action that's being placed. So it's not just on behalf of the individual consumer. Now there's actual companies that are coming after these brokerages, which I find ironic in and of itself because, you know, they're, they're a part of that mix as well. It's like you're involved in that, um, whether you're paying agents or not. So how is it that you feel like you were damaged in this circumstance? That, that really is confusing to me. Yeah. And, and it is, so they're starting it, but they're not the ones that are finishing it. They're the ones that are saying, hey, everybody in the class, which let me read to you what the class is defined as. It says all persons in Texas who from November 13th, 2019 through the present used any defendant or their affiliates with the exception of Keller Williams Realty Inc. as the listing broker in the sale of a home listed on an MLS and who paid a commission to the buyer's broker in connection with the sale of the home. So it it's not stopping with just those people. It's it's potentially including anyone in the state of Texas who did business with these people, which that's where it it is hard to see how how this ends with these kind of cases coming up and with the jury finding for Sister Burnett. It does feel like there's potential for the government to come in and step in and and you know maybe take some action to try to stop some of it but you know i yeah. i don't know you know again guidance from nar is just still like oh hey you know don't worry about it just keep doing business well it feels like there has to be something that's going to have to occur at some point whether it be from nar or whether it be the department of uh, justice or whatever on saying okay well because th i think that's why the ruling from the judge in that very first case might be so important because they have to give some indication there has to be a precedent or whatever you want to call it set to say hey Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. And then they can come in and interpret after that how they want to pursue any other. But I don't know how you can just kind of leave it open-ended without it just being chaos with everybody suing everybody and stuff flying around all over the place, right? Right. I, you know, so, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think at some point, I think, um, so there were some comments made. It, so Inman has been the one who's really been reporting a lot of this. You know, if if you're an agent, and you don't have an Inman subscription. You know, that really is the source of a lot of a lot of the information coming out. Um, but in there, they said this week. You know, they inter they they were at NAR to get comments that that the NAR council was giving in their speech that they gave to um, at the NAR national conference this week. That was less than an hour. Um, so that, that was the guidance that we got from council. Then that was backed up with an interview with the, um, lead attorney for Sister Burnett, Burnett. And he was, you know, saying like, they're just not taking this seriously. Like we're still coming for them. This is not over. Yeah. So, yeah. well, all right. Well, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about then. So what could be the possible impacts of this? And, and I know it's very hard for us to, because the hard part about this is, is until you know what the actual guidance is and until they tell you what can or can't be, you know, a lot of this is speculation. So, you know, there is, yeah. you know, we'll say that up front. Like we're, we're kind of just totally spitballing here. We don't know what's going to happen because until these rulings come down, until the appeals happen, there's really no way to know for sure. But, um, but just based on what you've seen so far, what, what do you think, you know, say, let, let's say we're 12 months from now and, you know, we're to some extent, let, let's, let's, let's operate under the fact that let's say that the buyers can no longer be compensated or excuse me, the sellers can no longer pay the buyer's agents at all. Right. Let's say that that's, that's what they say. So what, what could our world look like then, um, in real estate on, on, you know, as far as the day-to-day -day operations for an agent and a broker? 
Oh, you know, I mean, I so I think that is potentially an outcome that we really should talk about is that like, hey, what if that what we call internally a BAC or buyer agent commission that is offered as part of the listing price. And so you know, the seller is signing a listing agreement. They're saying, hey, we're going to pay you listing broker a, a big piece. And then the, the listing broker is saying, hey, but we're going to take a small piece and then we're going to credit it to the buyer's broker for compensation for them. Um, so I disagree with some of it that the seller is paying it directly because to me it is this flow through through the listing broker. But right. um, so so what happens in that is if we can't do that, then that means that the buyer would have to pay those funds to a representative for them out of their own pocket. Yes. Um, so th there are there are some ways that they could do that. They could just choose to to pay it, and I think you know there is a segment of the population that would do that. You know, I always say that just like TurboTax is right for some families and hiring a CPA is right for some families, like there's not just a broad, like everybody fits into one box. So, so there are some people that would pay cash. There are some people that would need to finance it if they, if they wanted to pay for that and have that. Um, and right now, as you know, like there's not a mechanism within the current uh, financing systems um, just nationwide to allow that to happen. So there is thought that, you know, more immediately or in conjunction with this injunction that the judge of Missouri and the DOJ are working on, that they are on the back end working with the mortgage servicers and those kind of things to provide something like that. We don't yeah, know. These conversations going, th those are, are happening right now um, just to see what the options are. Yeah, could be happening. So that could be an option. But keeping in mind with that option, that the, with both of those options we just talked about, it still does mean that the buyer has to say, I am going to write you a check. I'm going to pay that fee for that full amount. There's not a credit coming from somebody with that. I am going to take responsibility of that whole thing. And I think there is lots of conversation around about that the realtor members that are representing buyers have got to really help those buyers understand what they do for that money so that they can um can that the consumer can make that choice and say yes i need that or hey you know i don't think it's really worth that i would be willing to pay this for it so yeah. i think there'll be a lot more conversations about that as it goes forward there is also uh, this other thing I want to say before yeah. we go to the next thing is it just just so if anybody's not clear, you know, because I know uh, with newer agents that listen to this or or anybody that's not in the business directly, when it comes to mortgages and costs, you I hear people they ask me all the time. I just want to roll my costs into my loan. Okay, well with a purchase you cannot do that. With with a refinance you can. But with a purchase, you cannot. None of the costs can be rolled into the loan. Where that comes from is, is sometimes lenders will pay the cost by raising the interest rate and covering the cost. But it's it's not rolled into your loan. If you buy a three hundred thousand dollar house and you put and you have a VA loan and you have no money down, your loan is basically three hundred thousand. There are FHA you can roll in mortgage insurance, uh, VA you can roll in funding fees. But other than that, there's nothing else. So, so there is no current, like you said, no current mechanism that allows you on a purchase to add any costs that you don't have to pay out of pocket. So just, just to clear that up. Yeah. And in theory, that wouldn't immediately be like, Hey, buyer, you're having to pay, pay that 3% because the price of the homes would drop by 3% to compensate for that. So there is some, some pricing theory on that, that it really isn't a harm to the consumer. It's just shifting who has that obligation for payment. 
Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I read in one of them that says we over we overpaid because the commissions that were involved made the price of the home higher. And it's like, that's not even close. I mean, at least in my mind, that's not even close to how the price is set on a property because commissions are factored in. I mean, your your commission gets deducted, obviously, from the sale at the home, but but that's not how the price is determined. That's that's another piece of it, which was very surprising to me and how some of these people are interpreting it. Yeah, I mean, I think there is some thought like that the way that we do market analysis and just the way that the consumers pay for the home, that they will they will ding those homes for that 3% because they're having to come out of pocket for that cost in a similar way to what we've seen of the impact of the rising interest rates that that has resulted in some lower um, cost to the or lower prices to the seller because the buyer is having to pay more. But anyway. Um, so then there, but there's this other camp that is like, Hey, if the buyer is presented with the option of I pay or I don't pay that they're going to choose that they don't pay and that they are going to choose to go unrepresented and that they are going to be potentially harmed for that. And that is a big part of NAR's conversation of saying, Hey, we have tried this before in the U S and it did not work. We need those buyers to have an advocate for them so that they don't get taken advantage of by the big bad seller out there that is going to have all of the dollars and they're going to be the ones that can afford to hire representation because they're about to sell their house and get a check. They're not coming to the table with all the money. And that that's really the the origin story of all of this, right? Is yeah. that it was it was a hope to make it fair for both sides. But the reality is when you look at worldwide at how the real estate market works is that this practice is really a U.S. situation and that in most other areas of the world, this the way that we have buyer representation is not the main way. And so, you know, again, if we go back to that, then that may be even our commercial um, real estate world, you know, really doesn't work like this with that buyer seller always on that, too. So of, of representation on both sides. So it is this very likely situation that we could go to a world where more buyers choose to go unrepresented on that, which then impacts the sellers and the listing agents and how do they go forward and, and do business like that as yeah. well. Well, and then uh, this is another thing we kind of chatted about beforehand and, and what I talked about in the beginning is, you know, it's look, you look at this and go, okay, well, who's, who's driving this boat? Like who is, who's out there, you know, because this was moving along for years and, and good, whether you say it should have been this way or shouldn't have been this way, regardless, it's been this way for a very long time. And all of a sudden, you know, we have these things popping up all over the place and now realtors being vilified and, you know, these local MLSs are being vilified, which everybody says and has been saying for since the dawn of time that real estate's local. And it is because when you look at national trends and you say, okay, well, median home prices are here or, or per, you know, purchase applications are down in this. You're talking about specific, you know, the whole country. But when you look at specific areas like California's housing market's terrible right now, but Texas is great, you know, just depending on where you're at because of whatever's happening in the world. But so real estate is local. We know that. And yet we are trying to get to a place or it seems like companies, have, I mean, Zillow has been trying for years to, I don't want to say get rid of agents necessarily because most of their revenue comes from agents buying advertising and buying leads, yeah. but yeah. but they certainly would like to minimize their role or take, take a portion of their role because of the amount of money that's involved in those commissions. So, so there's, I feel like that there's a driver behind this and there is, is a, a, a more nefarious, you know, um, uh, idea out there 
when it looks at what we're trying to do with agents and you had mentioned something that, you know, you showed some mail that you've been getting a lot lately. So, so talk a little bit about that and why I'm not necessarily crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's been talked about for a long time of local MLSs and why don't we have a national MLS and why, why is it that, you know, the MLS has to be membership driven and some of that. And out there for a lot of good reasons, it is the way that we've had it. You know, it does create some control It makes sure that only licensees can see some of the information that we've got on the back end and that, you know, they can really get in and interpret what's happening on the back end. But um, some of these things that are happening within NAR and within these lawsuits do indicate that there might be, you know, again, maybe somebody on the back end that is really promoting this to happen, that, you know, we need to have a breakup of the national MLSs. And just in the last um, two weeks, I've received this kind of mail at the office. So look at this one. This is cool. It like goes up and down. Um, You know, all this stuff is like major mailers that um, are all coming from one party and it's homes.com. We started talking about homes.com at our company a, a few months ago because they were purchased by a co-star and they have really just been on the rise. They, they are, have already overtaken realtor.com as far as traffic and are coming for Zillow. Um, so it's, you know, it does, it, to me, it does look like there is the potential for a national MLS coming. Um, you know, again, I am not, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying like, y'all, if, if we're looking at where the dollars are being spent, there are some major dollars being spent on this side they aren't in any sort of defense right now. You know, they're only on the offense and we're definitely in a defensive posture on, on all of this. Well, and, and I've, I've said this a couple of times because it's, it's unfortunate the way, the way we might be headed with this, because right now it's not as impactful because the market is slower uh, because there's less transactions happening. So you don't see, I think it's just like anything else for stuff to really take impact. There has to be a lot of transactions to occur before it starts really seeing what's going to happen. Um, and so we're in a spot right now where it, we're probably going to be business as usual for a little bit. Like it's going to stay that way because we, again, we don't mm-hmm. have the judgment. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you know, I I've told the story a couple of times. It's like, imagine we get to a place where interest rates go back down sometime towards the end of next summer. And all the people that have been hold, bent up holding, waiting for rates to come down and they're not going down to two or three. So I think that's going to happen. It's not, um, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe five, you know, mid fives, high fives, something like that. If, if things get nasty enough. But, um, but that's where we're at. And then at that point, we still don't have enough inventory because they're still not building enough homes. Um, we, we don't foreclosures are the lowest they've been in, in decades. So that's not anywhere that's on the horizon either. Um, so we don't have enough inventory of homes to buy. So we get back to a place, not like it was last year or prior two years where it's 30 offers on every house, but we could certainly be in a place where there's four or five offers, every house that pops up. Right. And if we've been operating business as usual and the buyer's agent has been like, I've got my good friend Bill here and I've been showing him houses and we've looked at this and we've looked at that and just haven't quite been able to get in our contract. Well, then I find the one that I want. It's my, it's my, that family's dream house. And I've been helping Bill and his family find a house and there's four other offers and they all don't have buyer's agents on them that are asking for the buyer to be paid. So Bill, my friend comes to me and says, Mike, this is the house that we really, really want. And, you know, I'm willing to pay you 
whatever, a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks, 2000, or I may say, I don't have it because they haven't changed those rules to where they've come into play to where I can finance it or whatever. And so because he's my friend, I say, you know what? It's fine, Bill. Like, don't worry about it. I want you to get this house. You know, I want this to be for you. So you don't have to pay me for this. You know, we'll try to get it on the next one. Right. And then the week later, two weeks later, my phone rings and it's another friend of mine. And they're like, Hey, I'm ready to go buy a house. Will you be my buyer's agent? Am I going to take that offer? Am I going to take that job? Because I just lost out on the other one. No, I'm not. You know, I'm going to say, go find someone else. And then <clears throat> enough transactions that occur like that. And the buyer's agents just go away. And to, to Ashley's point, who put this up a minute ago, because the buyer's agent plays such a pivot, pivotal, pivotal role in helping a buyer who does not do this every single year. They do this five, you know, five times in their life, once every 10 years, whatever the case may be, they're, right. they're in there operating in a space that they have no understanding of and don't know what to do. And they can't watch enough YouTube videos to figure it out. So Correct. something has to fill that void, right? Something has to fill that void. So if you're homes.com or you're another arm of Zillow and you're like, Hey buyer, pay us $250 and we'll help you fill out the contracts and we'll help you do all this stuff and make sure that you're covered. And it's kind of like, yes, you're being covered, but you're being covered. Like you said, in a turbo tax form or, or something else that's much, much less to where you don't get all the, you know, the figuring out that this is the right neighborhood that you should have been in because you walked up and down the street and there were 70 cars in every single parking parking or in every single driveway. And you're, you had an agent before they're going, Hey, this isn't where you want to be if you have kids because of this or that or whatever. So that's the world that I see that could happen if we don't figure out how to make this work. And I don't know that there's a way out of that world. Like, it, can you, can you give me some, some hope to say that there is a way that we can figure out how this solution is going to happen to where buyers are still going to be represented properly? I, I, I don't have it. I, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I am really struggling with it. It's something that we've been very nervous about, but ultimately like it, if this is what is kind of chosen, you know, it, maybe not for the buyers themselves, but because of all of this, this is just the path that it would have to go. You know, it's kind of like not being able to go directly to a farmer to buy a zucchini because he's concerned that he's going to get a lawsuit about the pesticide that he used or something like that. And, you know, it all has to go to these giant farms or do something like that. It's going to end up somewhat like that because that's where I look at from all this is when does the litigation end? When does, yeah. when does our liability end? I mean, at some point we're here to help a consumer make, make grown up decisions and do this, but, I can't know everything about everything. I, I want to, I want to be a guide and I want to do, but I need to be able to charge a fair um, fee for my services, but I also need some limitation on that services. And I think that's where really the realtors have not done a good job as we've said, we do everything for you. We are going to a hundred percent cover you through this. Well, we can't do that for a, for a limited amount of money. You know, if it's an unlimited amount of money, sure, I guess. But, um, you know, at some point, we've got to have some reins on this to figure out what is our role in this transaction going forward. Yeah. What What are you telling your agents inside your brokerage right now to do? To, because the only thing I think that's going to happen right now is people are going to start asking questions, right? There's going to be questions. Okay. What What does this mean? How does this, how do I pay you? Like, you know, there, there's going to be those questions that are come up, especially, you know, buyers are in, are in, uh, 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 like high demand, but they're not a ton of buyers right now, but there are people listing their homes. And so a lot of agents are going after sellers. Well, if I'm a seller right now and I hear all this, well, this is probably one of the first questions I'm going to ask. So what yeah. are you coaching your, and there should be, 
Yeah, 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 and 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 really, they should be. So this is putting a lot more work on the consumer that they're going to need to really interview potentially a lot of agents to try to drill down to well, what are you charging and what are you providing? And if their agent can't answer that well, then they need to move on to somebody who can. And that's what we're all going to be asked to do is to to be a little more unique in what we're doing, which we already were, but it, there might not have been enough differentiation in pricing so that we can say, hey, you know, because, you know, because I'm coming to the table with 20 years of experience, you know, I charge this and maybe somebody coming with two years of experience may charge a different amount. And maybe the platform that I have with um, staging and professional videography and drones and those kind of things, maybe that's at a different price point than something else. But I think it's this blow up of what any anything that could have ever been called standard, not that we ever had that, but even from a what do we offer, it's got to be this match of what do we offer and then what do we charge for that. And the realtor member has got to be able to stand up and say, that is what I am. This is what I charge. And if you want to work with me, consumer, I would love to work with you. But if you don't, that's okay. And and maybe even like, hey, you should call Tamara over there because she's going to do a great job for you. And that is similar to what she charges in the platform that she's on. So, but it's, it's going to be different for every consumer as they go forward. And they're going to have to figure out which, which agent they want to work with that best fits their needs. Yeah. And that, that's going to be the, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. Cause I can see it in both ways. It's a bad thing in that. I think it's going to be harder for newer agents to break into the business because now, because compensation, the most likely outcome of this, of anything is that compensation is going to vary from, for everybody. It's not going to be the same. There isn't going to be a blanket you know, you're going to make 3% or 2% or it's just going to be, it depends on the brokerage. It depends on the person. It's going to be a, a big variable. If that's the yeah. case and you're a new agent trying to break into the market, you don't have the experience. You don't have the knowledge. And, and unfortunately in our business, it, mortgage and real estate, your knowledge comes from transactions. You learn by doing transactions multiple times because you could sit in a class all day long, as long as you want and learn about as many things as you can. But at the end of the day, until you put it into practice on a regular basis, you're not going to get the same kind of knowledge base as someone who's been doing it for 15 years. So you're going to have a really limited, or it's going to be a much higher barrier of entry, I think, than it is right now. That's the downside. The upside is though, is that if you're already in the business and you've been doing it for a long time, then you, you are going to bring, you know, the, the days of you, your past clients losing somebody to their brother who just got into the business, you know, that, that just started a month ago. And that's why they're not using them to list their house again. I think those days might start to go away a little bit because now that, that seller is not going to feel comfortable going with somebody who's only done three transactions in their life. And, and maybe that's a question unless, sellers ask. Unless they can go to homes.com and list the home themselves. But yeah. yeah there's you go. There's, <laughs> there's that part too. Hey, I'm trying to be rosy here as much as Sorry I can. Sorry to be Debbie Downer. Yeah, I know. I mean, but yeah, no, I, I do think there is some unintended consequence of this that could be a really a big benefit for both the consumer and the agent. Um, it does potentially slow the amount of agents that are getting into the business. It does potentially limit the amount of agents that are in the business now. You know, we're sitting at 1.5 million. Is that too many? Is that not enough? You know, and so I think the market will shift some of that out over the next, you know, couple of years as we see this judgment come down and, and guidance from that, which again, you know, and it may be three years before we really hear what the outcome is on it. 
Um, it also may be that more and more brokerages decide to make more voluntary moves um, that try to come in line with some of the guidance from the court specifically and kind of abandon the NAR, um, not, not abandon NAR 100%, but abandon some of the NAR mentality of like the way that we've been doing it has been fine and say, no, you know, I do need to do things a little bit different. I need to clean up my house. I need to make sure that the consumer really understands what I'm doing for them so that that way there can be a better match of the consumer expectation and what my, um, my product and my service that I'm providing to them. Right. So, I mean, if, if you're an agent right now and you know, you're wearing the, the, the slower holiday times, I mean, I would say it would be a good recommendation for you to really sit down and figure out what is your value proposition? Like truly, like what, what are you offering to every client and you need to have it dialed in pretty good. Would you say that that's correct? Uh, Yes, a hundred percent. Um, I actually spoke at a, a panel a few weeks ago, and I, I was giving that advice to you. all agents should be going through and really detailing out what their value proposition is, and being able to communicate that to a client. Don't just copy and paste something and put it on Facebook and think that that now just told all your clients all the ninety things that you do for them. Help them really understand what you're doing, and 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 do that each time. Don't like, oh yeah, well, I mean, I normally do that, but I forgot to do it on this one. Like really, you've got to get very diligent about what you're doing on every file and make sure that your your clients know that. I, I will tell you for, for our shop, like I'm having a blow up business planning and those kind of things. You know, we normally business planning is a little bit on autopilot for me that I'm like, well, you know, hey, you know, close this money and do this and then this, then we're good. Um, but for 2024, like I, I think everybody needs to be digging into that value prop and then matching it with an appropriate um, pricing model that they feel like their consumers will react well to. Yeah. Well, in uh, one of the viewers here, uh, Coach Coach Bug Bitani, she um, she also says get testimonials, which I I agree with. In that, you know, when you can provide reviews, surveys, whatever it is that you can get from your clients, showing the people that you've worked with in the past. I mean, that is really going to be going forward when you sit down and have a buyer's rep meeting or you have a, 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 a listing or a listing uh, presentation, like those type of things, you're going to have to have a really good presentation going back to the PowerPoints of the world. I mean, you may have to get into that mode again, because mm -hmm. if, if you're a educated seller, you're going to be talking to multiple, multiple agents and, and you have to, I mean, I have to do that now, by the way, because this, I think this happens more on the lending side than it does with real estate. Because like when I talk to a buyer, because they're all concerned about rates, 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 well, I'm going to call this company about rates. I'm going to call that company about rates. I mean, we've been doing that for years. I mean, that's just what we have to yeah. do. So there's going to be an adjustment for y'all on the other side. Yes. And, and, and that's probably valid. Like that needs to happen and we need to get a little more dialed in on that. We need to not have an assumption that, you know, uncle Mark is going to transact with me just because if that's not a good fit, what I do for them and and, you know, to me also the unintended consequence is that Uncle Mark may have to understand that I may not be the right agent for them because I charge too much. So, you know, there's going to be some change on that too, where, um, you know, just some more acknowledgement of like, what are we worth and how can we go forward? And, and I think that's, it's going to end up really potentially great for both the consumer and the agent. It's just, there is some grief in between here and then to get to that place. And, and some questions of, do we do that with an MLS? Do we do that with, you know, do we do that? You know, how do we do that going forward? Well, I think that's a big thing right now is there's just because there's so much uncertainty, which is why somebody like the DOJ or somebody has to come in and put, really put some guidance down so everybody knows what's going to happen. Because it, we we don't know what the adjustment's going to be until we get some of that guidance. Because right now, everybody's just kind of 
I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. Um, what do you think is going to happen with, you know, or what, again, saying we don't know, but it just based off what we know at this point, the Zillows and the iBuyers of the world, like how do you think the impact is going to affect them with, with any of these rulings? Um, you know, I don't think there'll be a huge change on those. I, I mean, I think blood's in the water with Zillow with their, their model of just scraping money out of the agent's pockets. Um, so that's not going to be, you know, a real fruitful plan going forward. Okay. Um, I, I buyers, I think there's a place for them in the market. I just think there'll be, they'll, there'll be a portion of the market, but not the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is going to help. Uh, I, I didn't think about how that would hurt Zillow just simply because the vast majority of their revenue comes from agents buying leads. And if you have a lot of agents that a leave the market cause they are, and then B don't have the budget to be able to put that much money into buying a lead that you may convert one out of a hundred, um, that's, that's going to be a really tough business model to manage going forward. Well, and most of those leads were buyer leads. And so if that is not there, then yeah. And and that's where I think, you know, CoStar and Homes.com sees that too, of like, hey, we can come in and leapfrog them over. Um, same thing with Realtor.com, same thing with Redfin. Like they're like, y'all, y'all are nothing. You're like, we've got it. We've, we've yeah. come to market with it. And, and honestly, I don't know why Zillow didn't before. I, it's been surprising for a lot of us that they didn't get into a more consumer direct model than, than what they already did. You know, they did have agents and those kind of things that we thought they would do more than that too. So, you know, again, hard to say what's, what's coming from the consumer direct, but um, there definitely will be more consumer options going forward. I mean, that's going to be the name of the game. Well, I could certainly see Zillow getting into now. I think the only thing that may have prevented them from doing it previously was they didn't have a catalyst like this. There was no catalyst like this is basically created that they were trying to figure it out on their own, whether it be offering their own brokerage service, which they did or offering their own lending, which they did. And none of that really kind of took off and they were still making a good amount of revenue from realtors purchasing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. the model wasn't broken at the time, so they were making nope. money. So it was like, all right, well, we can spend a ton of money trying to reinvent the model or we can just keep making money like we are. And I think they were fine with that. But like you said, I, I think they're going to have to change. And I think that's probably, you know, one of the ones that you could easily see. I mean, it might be a homes.com and a Zillow war as to who becomes the, you know, the, uh, the buyer's rep in this situation, because unfortunately it, it seems like that that's where things would ultimately head. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bet on Zillow with their stock price falling and all this stuff going on with them right now. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Well, where, where did Homes.com come from? What was their, um, or, I mean, have they been around? I mean, I'm not incredibly familiar with them. Have they been here for a little bit? CoStar has. So, um, but Homes.com is very quick on the rise. So this has all been within the last 12 months to see this much increase in web volume um, is pretty unbelievable but i mean when you pay for it you get it so do you think this has any implications for the current situation that we're in when it comes to inventory and, and housing in general and you know we talked about this the last time you were on just about how it seems like again because you know this is where my conspiracy brain gets gets going is i look at this situation and i go okay there's a large company behind you know these lawsuits they're not behind it as far as you know there's they don't have a cabal meeting, but yeah. they're certainly putting money towards it. Um, and or maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying not. To I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But um, 
But on the other side of that too, is like, we're already in a situation where we don't have enough single family homes. We don't have enough builders that are incentivized to build affordable housing regulations that you get in different cities and towns, make it unaffordable for builders to build affordable housing as it currently stands. So we're moving more and more into a place where even owning a home is going to be challenging, not to mention the fact that now you don't have representation to help you get there. And so like, mm -hmm. what does that mean for housing as a whole over the next 10 or 15 or 20 years? Are we, I mean, I've, I've been saying forever that I think we're moving towards commoditizing housing anyway, because they've yeah. done that with everything else, energy, uh, water, you know, it, media, all of that stuff has, has happened. And, you know, I'm surprised it took home so long because that's such a mm -hmm. cash cow for the, uh, for the GDP. But I mean, what do you think about all that? Um, I mean, I'm with you. I, I, you know, I think we talked about last time that in Arlington, where I spend most of my time, you know, we are seeing a, a big uptick in this build to rent situation. And it just breaks my heart. And one, uh, actually, one of the um, neighborhoods that's very close to my parents' house uh, just converted from it was going to be a build for uh, sale, and it just converted to a build to rent neighborhood. Um, and I, I just don't see if, if, if the government doesn't come in and stop it, the market is going to take there because there is just so much more money on that side. And, you know, and I don't know that that's government way that, you know, I'm, I'm also not, you know, a heavy government person of saying, Hey, they should come in and put their hand on it. But man, I mean, the scales are going to be hard to tip the other direction if we keep going farther than where we are. So like in Arlington already, just for us, we're at a 50-50 split between renters and um, owners. And, you know, there's no indication that we're, we'll be headed towards more owners when the only product that's coming on the ground is rental. Well, and it works out better for investors right now that the rates are so high because it does make it a barrier to entry for individuals coming in and trying to, you know, you're going to get a mortgage on a $350,000 mm -hmm. house and it's going to be $3,500. Whereas the, the investor that has big cash, which are these venture capitalist companies and, and large, um, you know, some of the I buyers, but they come in and they can buy that house cash. They don't have to pay 8% interest. And oh, by the way, they can now turn that around and rent it for a little bit less. So now you just go, well, I can pay $3,500 for that mortgage on that home, or I can pay $2,500 and I can rent it. And, and, but what you forget is that you pay $2,500 this year, then you're going to pay $2,600 next year, then you're going to pay $2,700 the year after that. Um, I did a, a broke down this company. Um, now I forget their name, RealPage, I think is what they're called, but they are a software company that creates uh, rental software for investors. So um, they go into per certain areas. They've been very targeted in how they've done this and they go to small investors and big investors. And essentially what they do is they control, um, they get everybody on the same technology platform that gives you data mm -hmm. that they share. So you know what rent is and it becomes rent rental price fixing essentially um, yeah. where they can say, okay, if, if we have 70% of the homes in this area on this platform and we want to raise rent 5%, well then it's going to be very difficult for a renter to go, well, I don't want my rent raised. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, they're charging the exact same. And, and ah. it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, uh, antitrust, uh, you know, uh, lawsuits flying down for that. But this is the type of stuff that's happening with housing. And it, it just, like I said, in the very beginning, when, when, when I promoted this, like, it's, it's like, we're under attack right now. It's like from all angles, yeah. because there's no inventory and you have people coming in large companies, you know, that, that want to have control and they have more power and influence and money than the average consumer does. And we're kind of just left, you know, hoping that it works out. And that, 
sucks. Well, really and, and yeah, to that too, if we're talking about, you know, big government coming in and doing it, I mean, the Fed's doing it too with this interest rate throttle being the, the mortgage rate. I mean, yeah. like why we, we have never had that before. And now that we have that, we're, I mean, they're just outright saying, Hey, that's what we're going to use as our throttle point for the economic engine. That is the U S economy that, yeah, well, no wonder some of this stuff is happening on that. And again, I mean, I'm not trying to throw stones on it, but ultimately some of this, we do need to protect this idea of homeownership and, and, if we get rid of all of the advocates for that because we're so scared of being sued, it's kind of like not having doctors because they were so scared of being sued. You know, at some point, government had to come in and say, okay, well, yeah, if you're a bad actor, yes, you can get sued. But if you're not and you're just trying to do what's right for your people and you're trying to charge what's right for your people, you know, maybe that is okay. And so there may have to be some sort of agreement to try to preserve some of what this, some of what we're doing from a, a bigger picture perspective. Well, and you said even before we got on that, you know, when you were talking about the lawsuits being thrown around that, you know, I, I was surprised and I guess I shouldn't be, you know, cause you look at it and it's Keller Williams and it's Remax and these are big, you know, national brokerages, but you said even on the local level from brokerages, if everybody gets lawsuit happy, then you just, even, even the local yeah. people can be at risk. Uh, and at more risk. I mean, our pockets are not deep. And so, you know, it doesn't take very much to really, like destroy companies and destroy destroy people's living for you know for not just brokerages but also for other agents too if they can't um you know if if buyers just choose to not not participate or sellers choose to not participate in this it just does mean that we're going to have this constriction of the market putting some some companies out of business and putting some agents out of business too and like that, i'm not you know I, I hope that that doesn't happen, but I also think that, you know, it's, it's just right there. There's not, there's not a whole lot of steps to that. What, what is the, I mean, I, I don't know where the advocacy comes for, for agents, uh, realtors going forward, because if, if NAR is the primary focus of this and they were the ones that were advocating for agents on a government level for so many years, you know, does that just go away? And and now we don't have now we there's not there are no advocates anymore, and it's just a slow burn until the whole thing. You know, I, I hate to be I'm not trying so to be doing some, yeah yeah. There's some there's some conversation about that too. Is that there could be an advent of another type of NAR that would be our next advocacy arm um, that you know agents would have to choose to spend on that. And you know, just like I'm not sure that buyers are going to choose to spend. I'm not sure that agents would choose to spend that right now. Um, it's just going to depend on, you know, kind of what's the income and what's the outflow. It, that lobby has been so big for so long that it is, it's going to be a change on, on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the largest lobby in, in Washington, really. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, the, mm -hmm. it, it, this is things I don't know that I, the average agent understands, but, you know, NAR was the one that allowed agents to keep selling during the pandemic that could keep, you know, earning their income. Um, they allowed agents to be a part of the PPP program, which, you know, there could be good or bad to that, obviously, because there's a lot of money got thrown around without a lot of oversight. But, yeah. you know, all of those things, like that's what they did. And when you have a group that was that influential and that powerful that then goes away, you know, it just, it creates even a less of a, of, of an enticement to get into selling real estate because there is so much uncertainty and there is so much, you know, attack on the income commission that you were making before. And now they're basically telling you, A, you're not worth it. And you probably did something wrong. And it's like, wait a minute, I was just trying to help my friend buy and sell their home. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. 
it feels like those first few weeks after COVID, you know, when we were all like sitting around like, oh, well, we can't sell houses anymore. We can't even go into other people's houses. Like we're just not going to, we're going to be out of, out of work. But we knew like, well, but really it's going to be okay on the other side. And, you know, I think we're still like that. Like, I, I mean, I will tell you for me that like, I, and I think a lot of our team, like, well, like there's still going to be consumers that need us. There's still going to be people that need us. We've just got to figure out how to do some of that. And that's what we're working on. We're trying to be as proactive as possible and make sure that that makes sense for the consumer and for us going forward. But it is this like kind of unsettled weirdness in the market though too of like, but maybe not, I, I don't know, you know, and that we had after COVID. So um, I, you know, I think it's anytime you're in this like 100% commission situation or business ownership situation and, and there's a big shift, like there definitely becomes this like, what the heck are we doing on this? What do you get a good sense because you're paying attention to all this pretty in depth? Do you get a good sense on when we might actually get some answers on, on how, you know, even just from the judge ruling and then what NAR's going to say, are we thinking the end of this year, first quarter of next year? Like wh when can we at least have an idea of, of when their answers might be provided? My guess is that if the DOJ comes in and does something that it will be late December, and but it's likely that it will be um more may uh, sorry march april and I, you know my gut too is that march april is getting really close to november and so it may be q1 of 2025 i i don't know you know or or 2027 if we go if we go straight into appeal from yes. um march then we are we're, we're kicking the can down the the three years unless the doj comes in so <sighs> I don't know. Does you it know, just mean that it's just business as usual and, and everything keeps going the way it has been? I mean, how does that impact it? I, I think that I think agents are going to choose to make some voluntary changes and brokerages are too. I think maybe the E&O carriers are going to force our hand on some of that too. I don't know. Um, I still haven't heard anything from our E&O carrier. I was uh, talking to Spencer, my uh, husband and business partner earlier today, and I was like, you know, I guess maybe I need to reach out and ask some, you know, ask some more questions. You know, luckily we don't have any claims in right now that I've had to be working with them. I'm sure they're overwhelmed with all the other, but you know, that's a big piece of this too. You know, Trek hasn't really come in with any guidance at Texas Real Estate Commission. So there's there's just a lot of pieces to this of how can we still protect the consumer but also have advocacy for them and have or you know, have it where there's a system in place and I just don't, I don't have a, a huge gut right now on which direction that will be. Well, it sounds like we don't have a lot of answers. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. It sounds like we have so many more questions and, and not a bunch of answers. And unfortunately, um, that's not where anybody wants to be, but we're in this situation where it's just what it is, right? I mean, there, there isn't yeah. any... I think it is what it is. And I think we can be forward looking as business owners and start, you know, playing out like, well, if this happens, then this, and if this happens then this, and maybe I want to make some of those changes now, and then I want to do this. And then I want to, you know, so I think there's going to be some of that happening. Um, but as far as somebody coming in and, you know, coming into our house and saying, Hey, you need to start doing business this way, that may be long incoming. Oh, wow. 
what would you tell agents that are planning for 2024 as far as like, not, not just with this, but also with where the market's headed, you know, as far as like, Hey, how are you planning your business and what kind of income can you expect to make? And, um, you know, because that's, that's really what it all boils down to is like, I think a lot of agents are asking themselves right now, am I going to continue to be a realtor or do I need to go find, you know, another profession, (laughs) unfortunately. And that's, you know, we've already had a bunch leave and, you know, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's a question they're, they're asking themselves. So, you know, you got to plan yeah. for it and know what's coming. So, I, yeah, I agree. I think they've got to start getting real serious about what their plan is for 2024. How are they going to do business development? How are they going to explain their value proposition? And how are they going to price? And what team do they have behind them to do that? So, and that could be team from brokerage team, marketing team, you know, mortgage partners. Like, how do they create this client experience that's going to be the best fit that makes a consumer want to pay for this service, not feel like they have to in any way, but that they are just so um, desirous of this because they feel like they are going to be better off for working with you than not. And so that that may take some creativity. It may take doing something different than what you've done in the past. Um, and so. I, I would just encourage all agents to do that, to really take this next even 45 days between now and the end of the year to really seek out as much information as you can. I would say, you know, talk to, you know, friends in the, the industry, not about like, hey, let's fix our price at this. Don't do that. Um, but talk about like how, you know, is your brokerage offering a um, business planning seminar? Is there any, you know, are there any sort of resources that you can go to to help craft a um a business plan and a strong value proposition so that then you individually can say okay this is what i do and this is what i feel like is the fair price that i charge to the consumer for that and that's what i feel like i can go to market with and so and i'm going to go with this marketing strategy business planning this year is going to be completely different like i was saying earlier this is something that you know if you're doing things the same old way if you're going to the same old classes or same you've got to like change it up and figure out how can I be relevant in this new world? And what do I want to, what do I want to have that look like? Don't let this happen to you. You, you want to happen to it. Yes. Yeah. Those that are proactive will have the success that they're looking for. And those that are waiting to see what's going to happen or not. And that's why you have to be thinking about this stuff. You can't just stick your head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. And, and there are going to be a lot of people that are going to take, you know, some of the guidance that we've gotten from our partners forever. I mean, you know, then they are saying, hey, it's just business as usual right now. You don't have to change. Like, that's real easy just to say, like, yeah, I'm not going to change. Everything's going to be okay. And and it may be you could stay on that path. And it could be that the Department of Justice or the president or somebody comes in and says, hey, homeownership is so important. We are not changing anything with realtors. This is exactly how it's going to stay. But there's also this possibility that it's not. And if you're not prepared for that, what does that mean for your family going forward? Yeah. Can you believe, like, 18 months ago, (laughs) our entire industry was just, they could just sit by their phone and their phone would ring and someone would want to buy or sell their house and they really didn't have to do very much. And here we are, you know, less than two years later and our entire industry has has been kind of flipped upside down due to market conditions and with stuff like this. It's just, I don't know if there's been too many industries over the last 30 or 40 years that have seen such a change in in such a short amount of time as to as to what their impact is it's it's it's, i can't believe it in some cases it blows my mind change creates opportunity though so there's going to be a lot of cool opportunities in this market and so if you just leave like you're not part of the party like you know there's going to be stuff to do it's just a matter of how do we do it and how do we do it well 
Yeah. Yeah. They're like I said, I don't know if I said this before we started or with the end is like, there used to be someone that would ride down the street and put the little lamps out with their little candle holder and, and they would turn off the, the street lights at night and then the electricity showed up and that person, you know, didn't do that job anymore, but they still had a job. They still found something else. And, and there's going to be, people are always going to buy and sell homes. That's not going to go away. Like at least yeah. not anytime in the near future, at least not in our life. Yeah. So it's, it's, how are you going to fit into that? into that model? Where does, where does your role, you know, play? How do you make money there? Where's the opportunity there? And the only way to find that stuff is to be conscious of what's happening. You have to know what's coming, yes. what could happen. You can't just say, Oh, I'm just going to keep doing it. Like I've been doing it and just hope it works out. Okay. Because that's not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And help educate the consumer. You know, I mean, when I started in the business, um, I worked for a uh, married couple in Denton while I was going to college and they got their first computer and needed me to come in and help print off everything because they weren't gonna search for homes online. Like that was kind of crazy. They wanted the book to flip yeah. through and look, and then that was how they were gonna present those to their consumer. You know, things change and it's just part of it. And this is a big one, this is bigger than we've had before, but just like the mortgage industry changed with Dodd-Frank and some of these things that happen, you know, I mean, it changed and, it changed. and every, you're still here. Like, yep. you know, you're still, still writing loans and it's going to yep. be okay. Yep. You so. just, just got to be aware. Just got to know what's going on. So, well, Amy, yeah. thank you so much. Um, I appreciate, <laughs> excuse me. I appreciate you coming in and talking with me about this because this is a topic that's on everybody's mind right now. And, and, and we don't have any resolutions for it. We're just trying to, you know, provide, here's what happened. Here's what we think is, is totally. you know, could possibly happen. But at the end of the day, until some, some stuff is given, uh, you know, some judgments are thrown out there and, and we know where guidance is given, then we're just not going to know. So, but you still have to keep involved. You still have to keep informed and you still have to keep working because you got to pay those bills. So you just got to figure out what that looks like. So, right. so thank you so much for popping on with us for a little while. And yeah, thanks uh, for having me. maybe once uh, we get some judgments down, we'll, we'll maybe get back together and try to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? Once we have a little more guidance, but until <laughs> sounds, that happens, you just got to keep floating along. So <laughs> Sounds good. Right. Good to talk Have to you. Have a good trip to Philly. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.